This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. So welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Andy Bory from the University of Derby, where we are exploring talent development philosophies, what are the problems in current approaches, and how can we think of a more meaningful and a more sustainable future. So welcome back to the podcast, Andy. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And let's just jump right back into where we left in the first part. So we discussed your autoethnographic approach that you used in your in your PhD research. And we also talked about the long history that you have working in talent development and elite sport, which obviously is a big background for where all this comes from, where we move next. But so in addition to critiquing the dominant status quo and pointing out what are the problems we have, you've also really work towards thinking about a more meaningful uh, vision for the future of talent development. And one concept that grounds your work is excellence literacy that you suggest is something that can help us to reimagine what talent development is about. So let's let's start with that concept and what it entails. Okay, um, excellence literacy. I mean, sometimes I call it performance literacy. I, it's one of those things, I'm not precious about precisely what you call it but I am precious about how we craft an approach to talent development that is right for the young people who are uh, within those systems so I think I started I became aware of physical literacy and, and a lot of reading around Margaret Whitehead's work and I was drawn to that because I, I like that kind of monist existentialism that, that mind and body are indivisible. I like the fact that physical literacy was about being person-centered and about the individual through their life course. And, and so I think that was an important part of my thinking. I also kind of drew the literacy concept from that because one of the important things to me in crafting solutions is that you find hooks that your audience can understand. And by presenting my ideas as kind of performance literacy or excellence literacy, they can relate that to something they already know, which is physical literacy. So there was a kind of practical reason for, for, for drawing some of those concepts as well. And then um, I read Ken Agaholm's book uh, on uh, existential philosophy and talent development, and it's not the catchiest title for a book ever, Talent Development, Existential Philosophy and Sport. Um, so I, but for me, it was it was a game changer in my thinking. And, and I, you know, I've got to pay an awful lot of credit to, to his thinking in, in what I eventually ended up with, that 
presenting me with this idea of elite building, which is, you know, it's the active process of developing your being. So it's not about being better at education, developing better academic outcomes or better performance outcomes or a better skill set. It's something far more holistic and fundamental. And the key elements in that were developing people who have who, through having a sense of agency and freedom to make their choices, but also understand their responsibilities. Seeing, coming to understand themselves and, and their relationship to other people and relationship to, to their community and that focus on excellence, doing it for its own sake and, and that sense within building of, of people striving and wanting to become something different and better is perhaps not the right word, but something other and, and pursuing that for its own sake. And, and I particularly within his right work writing resonated with his ideas around practice and, and repetition being future focused each time we practice something we're practicing being different to the thing we were before that we need to develop a questioning comportment so we understand that in our training and in our competition we are asking questions of ourselves and trying to find the answers to those questions competition we ask questions of our opponent they ask questions to us and so competition isn't an adversarial process it's it's a collaborative process of stretching ourselves and asking questions and finding the answers and and moving forwards in this process process of developing your being and and if you do that in the right way repeatedly that, that you allow yourself to be discomforted and disquieted by something in training or life or whatever, and then find the solution to that and, and come back to yourself, that you start to develop a, a habit of trying to seek excellence for its own sake, not for the outcome. Um, and all of that, to me, allowed me to start going, yeah, I, I can see now how I can connect all of the things in my performance experiences that I value hugely and I think other people value hugely. And I can connect that with a way of doing talent development that still places the growth of the individual as a person right at the center of it. So I was very much drawn to, to elite building for, for kind of those reasons. And then the other thing you mentioned was craftsmanship. And, and, and alongside that, I was re reading kind of Senate's book on, on craftsmanship. And started reading that, not really realizing how much kind of academic sociological theory underpinned it. And, and I just saw the same same ideas emerging, that, that the craftsman is interested in excellence for its own sake. Um, and I think Senate describes it as a, as a um, we have an enduring human impulse uh, to do things well for their own sake. And building on that and, and seeking beauty in what we do and seeking you know to, to whatever it is in front of us the craftsman seeks to do it as well as they can and so we're driven by in that approach driven by quality that and, and your marker for that isn't somebody else's standard it isn't have you won a medal have you won a competition the standard for quality comes from within the, in the individual and in the craftsmanship view of the world it's also about we solve problems and the craftsman then goes out and finds different problems to solve. And each time they find a problem and solve a problem, their work becomes better. The excellence of their work becomes higher. And, and in that ambiguity and, and discontinuity in our lives, 
we can embrace those as, as challenges that we need to overcome in producing even better work. They're not things to be controlled or coped with or dampened down. They are positive experiences that, that we work with. Um, and so, so the craftsman becomes enriched by the process, not the outcome. And when I look at what Senate was saying or what craftsmanship says, and I look at what Agahome was saying around elite building, I, I see so many similarities that, as I say, allowed me in my thinking to go, actually, I can retain what I think is valuable and good and brilliant about elite sport, and I don't have to sacrifice the the individual at, at the heart of it. I can stay true to my belief that actually what we should be doing is helping that young person actively develop the process of their being. And, and so that's why I think I was drawn to those two things, because they allowed me to join different bits of my experience together. Yeah, I, I agree. I also see loads of overlaps between Kenneth's work and, and the craftsmanship concept. And later, Kenneth and his colleagues have worked with practicing, which is also not that dissimilar to craftsmanship. Certainly, some, some differences also exist. But I think what is also quite interesting is that, for example, Kenneth is highlighting the value of repetitions, which is something that you also mentioned already. And often we think of repetitive tasks as something that are boring and alienating and, you know, not very meaningful. But actually in this development of your craft, this repetition and, you know, constant long-term engagement and seeking to understand what you're doing in a deeper level and yes repeating many times is actually something that is essential and it's also part of that meaningfulness of the practice and not like the necessary evil that you have to do in order to reach excellence absolutely and i think the fact that a repetition is approached like that in in ken's writing and in in the craftsmanship concept is what re possibly really connected me with them because in that elite sport environment to reach the highest standards of performance you have to repeat things in talent development processes young people have to learn how to practice and and i think sometimes we in some talent development process we edge away a bit from that too much um, and try and find nice slightly warmer fluffier ways of allowing people to to it notionally develop their, their craft and development their excellence without actually having to say to them no I'm sorry you are going to have to do this repeatedly because that is the only pathway to becoming better but at the same time helping them understand what that means so we're not just doing it to them to achieve an outcome we're doing it with them to help them understand what it means and that's that's the difference I think and so I think there are so many bits of, of elite building and craftsmanship that work in a high performance setting and resonate with what you have to do in a high performance setting you're just doing them for a different reason and that then will changes your dialogue as a coach your your focus as a coach and perhaps how you use some of the tools at your disposal so interestingly i don't think if you went and looked at a practice session that was developed and constructed based upon some of my thoughts about excellence literacy or even just craftsmanship or, or build-up and, and looked at a practice session that was being run under the kind of instrumental philosophical drivers we have at the moment, 
I'm not sure visually at times there would be that much of a difference. But the meaning and the dialogue that went around it would probably be very, very different. And what is important in Senet's work is that he talks about this workshop, which is the home of the craftsman, and he talks about the master-apprentice relations and, and more about that craftsmanship is cultural, that it's not just task orientation and so on, but it's a culture that is learned through being involved in this culture. And in that sense, building these craftsmanship qualities in young people is not just adopting some different ways of teaching skills, but it also needs kind of this change of mindset, even a change of heart, also those in the broader system. Absolutely. I think it is about, I'm not sure, for let's say for the coaching talent development program, I'm not sure your pedagogical skill set is going to change particularly between, let's say, doing something from an excellence literacy perspective as opposed to an instrumental perspective. It's how you deploy those skills and how you deploy those behaviours will change. I, I think probably what is does need to be very, very different is some of the dialogue that that exists around the young athlete about explaining to them the reasons for their doing things. Um, because that, I think, is, is starkly missing a lot of the time in... Uh, our, our talent domains we you know, it comes back to Katrina's work about narratives you know we we constantly just shovel the performance narrative down their throats and and we actually need to change that 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 is a core part of change it, it is opening up the narrative so the young person can see different narratives from just the performance one they can see value in what they're doing in in a different way for a different set of reasons so I think the narrative needs to change but the actual practice practical pedagogical stuff doesn't necessarily need to change yeah you write uh, in your work about the importance for the young people to have agency in in creating their own life narrative and their own identity narrative and broadening of the narrative environment or the resources seems to be this key step and for example through this craftsmanship culture different types of seeds for constructing narratives are then and made available uh, absolutely i think in what what i would like to see is is that the core of what we're doing in talent development is about developing athlete attributes and i'm not sure ath- attributes is exactly the right word it's, it's it's difficult sometimes we're dealing with holistic concepts where our, our language is limited but i i would see them as being attributes and one of those is that they we, we support people in a growing sense of autonomy about developing their lives. One is is that actually an athlete steps off a talent pathway, but it, when they step off, they have been exposed to more than one narrative. They have been allowed to believe that there are different narratives and that they're all okay and that they need to be writing their own story about their life in relation to the pursuit of excellence or the pursuit or, or maximization of their talent. And I also think there's another element to that, those attributes, which is about entering in some conversation or dialogue with young athletes about why are you doing this? What's your wider purpose in this? And and opening it up beyond the, well, you want to be an international athlete, don't you? End of conversation. No, there might be, you know, let's open up some conversations with them about what is the purpose of high performance sport? What is your purpose in being in this environment? And, and, 
trying to become something else. And I think if you can focus on that narrative voice autonomy as part of the attributes you want to build in the young person, then at the point they step away from your talent pathway, they are leaving with something positive. They will have gained something as a human being and they will be better equipped to draw meaning from their experience. And so I think focusing on those attributes is incredibly important. And alongside that, it's that attribute of pursuing excellence. And there I would go back to, are you teaching them about repetition, the power and the positivity of repetition? Are you teaching them about questioning uh, and and dialogue and, and how that practice competition narrative fits together? Are you teaching them to embrace challenge and struggle? and striving because actually that's the grit that creates the pearl in the oyster um so i i think there are some aspects to that that excellence part of of the the athlete attribute that we can really work on and enhance as well so in in my head i i want to see us have a a core set of attributes we're aiming for and around that some elements and key elements in the coaching process that we should be asking ourselves where in the process do I teach them something about questioning? Where in the process do I teach them something about repetition? Where in the process do I teach them something about narrative? And those should be our driving elements in, in the coaching process. You know, and, and our questions as practitioners should be leading us to doing those things better. Um, I absolutely don't want to start to dictate to anybody what pedagogical processes you're going to use to achieve those things. I think in in my thinking, it's all about what is your aim here? Why are you doing this with the, this young person? And let's focus right at what's on in in, in the centre of that. Talking about this, you know, I, I find it quite difficult at times because I'm kind of aware that, as I've said, I, I'm trying to talk about some quite holistic concepts that don't always come easily come over easily in in, in conversation. Um, so I hope, I hope listeners are, are kind of getting the essence of what we're saying. Yeah, I think when you talk about this questioning attitude, when we introduce it, we also have to be open to the possibility that the athletes, the young people will come into answers that are not the ones that we perhaps hoped for. And I think Jim Dennison's work in using Foucault and sport coaching has made the point that Often in this coaching discourse, it's promoted that athletes should be thinking for themselves, taking initiative and creative and all this. But still at the end, it's within those boundaries that move them forward in the talent pathway. And not questioning in the sense that they are, for example, questioning the coach's authority and and those things. So this discourse around athlete empowerment still often operates in the very narrow limited space it, it it's we want them to be creative within the box we've built for them right uh, and, and but but don't think about stepping outside the box and and you know we want them to be empowered to continue to go down the pathway we want them to go down well that's not empowerment is it and and to me you know, the ideal perfect talent development system is one that accepts and understands that some people would choose not to be a part of it, even though we think they might have phenomenal potential. And we can look at it and go, do you know what? For you as a human being, that's absolutely the right decision. 
And that's that's what we should be aiming at. If we're truly about what's best for the young person, we have to develop that autonomy and that freedom to think and the narratives that allow them to think like that, accepting that a proportion of them will reject the end world that we would like them to be heading towards. Right. And you always see in the media when somebody finishes their very promising career at the very young age, it's something about wasted talent. Somebody has failed to provide the optimal conditions and so on. But yes, perhaps there is a possibility that this young person actually found other things in life more worthwhile to pursue than sport. Or intrinsically, this young person has looked at the world you're 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 trying to to move them into and gone. Actually, I don't like that. I don't like the pressure. I don't I don't want to do this twenty four seven and think about it all the time because actually I enjoy it in a different way. So it's not that I don't want to go there. It's just that your version of going there isn't isn't right for me, and I would find it damaging. And they have that that sense of you know stepping away from something because they're avoiding damage to themselves because of that choice um, and that's that's a perfectly legitimate outcome uh, from from the, a talent development program that is structured in the right way and, and I genuinely think if we did this it still isn't you're still going to be nurturing your best athletic talent to produce excellence it might happen in a different way but you're still going to be nurturing talent um, and you're still going to have the Messies and the Nadals and, and all these other wonderful athletes come into the fore. That's not going to, that's not going to ha- stop, but it is going to change how they understand their, their route to becoming those people. Yeah. And in your PhD work, you also, towards the end, talk about some more a little bit maybe tangible recommendations or something that is maybe a bit more we have also listeners who work in more practical contexts so maybe just talk about some of the key ideas that you think are kind of the take-home messages from the work you you've done the take-home message i think for everybody is to really think about the person you want to create and that should be the driving point for your practical coaching intervention so i i think for me as i've said the attributes that that young person develops should be the starting point and the focus of your talent development process and that therefore there should be these key elements in your coaching process that somewhere you should tick have i explored sense of purpose have i explored questioning have I explored um, how to embrace challenge? Have I explored narrative? And and so I think there are a series of practical steps each coach can take to sense check their practice. And I think in the kind of the final sort of excellence literacy diagram that that uh, I, I was creating or model I was creating, I've I've started to construct some what I think are coaching questions that coaches should ask themselves. So kind of what vision am I painting what end goals am I promoting so I think they they are quite practical things every practitioner can do to start to get more in tune with a process that focuses on this kind of build on craftsmanship excellence literacy core to it 
I think in practical terms for me, what I want to do is actually, in terms of taking this forward, I actually want to spend more time writing and coaching journals and at conferences and practical conferences and talking to coaches and talking to practitioners. I, I don't want to spend time writing peer review journal articles um, because I think far too often in, in some of this stuff as academics, we just end up talking to ourselves um, and thinking we're doing some great work because, you know, we've got another two papers out of it and the response was good. Yeah, but the response was from people who aren't actually going to influence the system. So I want to be talking to practicing practicing coaches and, and I want to be talking to governing bodies of sport and, and getting into arguments about the legitimacy of what, of, of what I'm suggesting. So I'm not, I don't think, again, I answered your question perfectly. If What I would like to do is, is kind of get that model out there, not in the sense of this is a perfect approach to anything, but get it out there to start to say, hey, guys, come on, let's have a dialogue about this. Let's have a conversation about the ideas that this stimulates in you as coaches. Yeah, I think that was actually a poor answer to your question. but No, no, I think it was a good answer. I started thinking when you mentioned about not necessarily writing into peer review articles that much that I think we have a problem not only in talent development and elite sport, but also the academia is not very much promoting the craftsmanship qualities in terms of how we are more and more metrics about how many outputs on this and that. So I guess also for academics, craftsmanship concept is gives it's quite easy to start reflecting on your own work are you finding those craftsmanship qualities but so I guess your work writing this PhD working with the craftsmanship construct do you think it made a change in terms of or made an impact in how you approached your own academic work and if craftsmanship is something that we develop it's not an innate either you have it or not so do you see a change how you approach your work Good question. I think I think what I am is is I'm more comfortable with the way I approach my work. I think traditionally I have tended to follow a craftsmanship approach to the things I do anyway, but within the systems in which I've worked, I've ended up playing somebody else's game in terms of the metrics I had to hit to, to progress and advance and all the rest of it. I think doing this work has allowed me to become more comfortable with who I was anyway. I think also um, it has emboldened me to say, do you know what? I'm not going to worry too much about peer review stuff. I want to talk to I would say, real people who are doing real jobs, um, which is not to suggest that academics aren't. But in a sporting concept, excellence for me in doing this work is in creating change, it's creating different conversations, it's creating dialogue within the wider world of sport. So I, I think it has helped me focus my mind differently on what I want to produce, uh, definitely. But I'm also conscious that I'm kind of more coming towards the end of my career. And therefore, I don't care really if if I hit the metrics that, that you know different people say are necessary to advance, because I'm you know, I, I'm okay at my point in my career. I don't need that. Whereas if you're a, a, a younger researcher, I st it is still a significant challenge in academia um, and in other other areas 
of life, you know, even in sport, in governing bodies in sport, for for a coach trying to come up that that coaching pathway, wholly adopting a craftsmanship approach to your work isn't necessarily always going to score you the points you need to be promoted. So it is a it is a significant challenge, and and so it would be good to see these concepts uh, broadening out into the way we practice as well as we the way we would like to develop the young people. Yeah. I'm especially excited that you're using Kenneth Agerholm's work, which is located in sport philosophy in your practical encounters, writing to audiences who are not academics. I sometimes or often think about reading work in sport philosophy, and it's really brilliant work. But then you see that from the article metrics that a couple of hundred people have read it. And I'm just thinking that everybody should have read it because it challenges the underlying assumptions of why we do sports science anyway absolutely and it's interesting how i more luckily in my career have become more and more interested in that and and ken's work was brilliant and it also comes from having a you know phd supervisor who's an applied philosopher so i wasn't allowed to get away with not reading it and i'm now writing on things like heidegger and Wittgenstein, and then there are moments i think what am i doing Uh, but what I'm really keen to do now, I think, is is to take some of those ideas and stick them in an applied domain and and grab some of those ideas and, and put them in front of people in that wider sporting domain. Because when you actually do it and write it in the right way, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, no, oh, no I, that resonates with me. I, I can understand that on an intrinsic level. I might not have used those terms. I, not, I might not be familiar with Heidegger, Sartre, Wittgenstein, whoever, but I can relate to that. But we're actually pretty darn poor in in academia at, at, at learning how to translate into the language and context that practitioners are working with. And I, and I think that's one of the things I've been lucky in my career by keeping a foot between two different camps. I think I can do that reasonably well. And I think that's one of the things I'm, it's why I crafted my excellence literacy model in the way that I did. I wanted to craft it in a way that I thought would resonate most with people who are actually going to practice, not resonate most with people who were already academic theorists so I, I'm really conscious that at times I might have misused some ideas from building that don't quite match originally how they were supposed to be used, or I might be bastardizing some ideas about craftsmanship. But if by doing that you get them into a broader practitioner domain and they have impact, I think that's better than retaining kind of academic theoretical purity. Mm-hmm. This has really been a wonderful inspirational conversation. Um... Yeah, I'll link your... Is your dissertation available? Uh, I have absolutely no idea, but I'll find, <laughs> I'll find out. And I, I will make sure that, that you have a link to it. And seriously, I, you know, any if my contact details can, can go out with this, I, I would be more than happy for anybody to email me to say, look, hey, can I have a copy of your model? Can we have a conversation about it? The more people I can talk to about it, the happier they am. So if anybody wants to email me, a.borry at derby.ac.uk, and I will be more than happy to respond. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. 
If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.